1: holidays. So wonderful to be with you on this last week of 2020. Can you believe we have actually made it through this year? And, you know, I think there are a lot of silver linings of this year. I think that much has come out of it. And for many people, it has been an opportunity to really be with themselves and to explore and to dive in, even if you were forced into it. Aspects of your life, Aspects of yourself, aspects of your relationships, your money, your passions, all those things I'm sure have come to the surface and as challenging as it may have been to face some of those things or to be in isolation at times or to deal with so much that was happening in the world this particular year, for many it was also an opportunity to discover what they do want to do to start stepping out into passions or new work environments and careers or new businesses that they want to unleash. It might be a transition of a relationship. A lot of things are going to come out of this year, and a lot of things were put on pause uh, with 2020 that now might have a chance to be revived or renewed. But sometimes there's a block, to letting that final step of birth happen. And that is why today's show is really, really powerful. I urge you to get the book that we're going to be talking about. It's called The Final Eight. And it's about enlisting your inner selves to accomplish your goals. And the perfect way to start off 2021, uh, because there's a lot of us in here, in ourselves. We have a lot of voices, a lot of people. Uh, I have often joked that I think we're all a bit schizophrenic, and I think that my guest, Bridget Gaspard, has, has reworded that so that it doesn't sound quite so harsh, but she has taken all of those voices and taught us how to speak to them. And so it is going to be exciting to have this conversation today. It's painful to find yourself seriously stuck. Despite doing all the right things inexplicably, you're unable to reach a long-held goal, whether it's your career, your relationships, your finances, your creative life, your health, or your personal growth. Most of us endure a bout of paralysis at some point in our lives or a stall, as we have this year. Bridget Gaspard has worked with many clients, talented, energetic, motivated men and women, who have accomplished multiple steps towards their goal but were unable to complete it. These are driven, enterprising folks who are doers and who were highly dissatisfied with their situation but unable to change it. They found themselves immobilized on the way to a cherished aspiration. From choosing a career to finding a mate, from getting out of debt to building a boat, from loving themselves to becoming a master plumber. Bridget Gaspard began to call this treacherous, demoralizing quandary the final eighth. We all have a challenge we want to push through. Some of that might sound familiar to you. And the final eighth process is a breakthrough metaphor, a fresh new paradigm for the process of taking the steps necessary to complete a project, finish a goal, realize a dream, and flourish. Bridget Dingle-Gaspard graduated from Columbia University, founded the New York Voice Dialogue Institute, and has led workshops for Omega Institute, New York Open Center, and many other organizations. As a former performer and a comic, she specializes in overcoming creativity blocks. And her website is final I'll tell you about some things she has going on in the coming year as well uh, when we go to break. But for now, I want to introduce you to Bridget. Welcome. It is so wonderful to have you here.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited about our being together today as 2020 December appears into the horizon. I know,
1: it, you know, this is a really really perfect book for people to pick up. And oftentimes, you know, we in the personal growth field or as people go through therapy and work with themselves, they realize that they have an inner critic. We even can come to the point where we understand that we have core wounds and there's a negative voice and a positive voice or an angel on one shoulder and mm-hmm. a devil on the other. But what you've done here is introduced a whole community. We're we're like a. We, we don't need to go anywhere for people. We've got everybody right here.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, talk a little bit about number one: how uh, this this work is different than than us being schizophrenic. It is it is really that we have these valuable voices. Some that we know, some that we don't that it is
2: almost imperative to dialogue with to be able to achieve our goals. Yeah, I I love that you said imperative because it really is. So I use this method that I learned from my mentors, the doctors Hal and Sidra Stone, and it's called voice dialogue, and it's been around for a long time. And it's a literal method where you go to a different part of the room and you dialogue as the self whether it's a perfectionist, an inner critic, a creative one, an angel, and then you you let that self speak from that self's point of view and you don't correct it. You don't ask the perfectionist to be a little looser around the edges and you don't ask a slob to like fix themselves up a bit. When you come back to center, that's when you have access to like, well, how much do I want to have perfection in my life as defined by my inner perfectionist or slob who's Each has a gift. So the slob's gift could be being more relaxed. And that is a very important thing for your overall health. But the idea is if you have access to your different parts, not only do you find out what's going on when you are literally and mysteriously stuck in front of your goal, like it doesn't make sense. If it makes sense, then you'll fix it. This is when you're stuck and it literally doesn't make sense. You think, all of you wants what you think you want and you find out they don't. And in this book, you learn to embrace all parts of yourself because they each serve the noble purpose of protection. Regardless of their means, they're trying to help you not get abandoned, which is a very deep, biologically wired human uh, protection mechanism. And But then you start to get control over your inner party selves, your inner librarian selves, your inner spiritual selves, and your life is so much richer. Ultimately, the final eighth goal, I think, is an inner lifestyle upgrade. It's like a detox. You get to really understand the gifts of these selves, and you learn from the sting so you can avoid the stings, because each self carries concerns. And when you deal with those concerns directly, often the block melts, just melts, because you're dealing with the genuine issue that's blocking your goal, as opposed to what you think it is. Often, this method lets you realize, "Oh, I thought it was one thing, and I now know it's another."
1: In, in the spiritual fields, I think when when people are seeking, we're often seeking the one truth, you know. Or even in in life in general, you know, especially with all of the fake news and the fake media and everything that we keep hearing is fake, fake, fake. We all just want the truth, and so. In actuality, there's a multiplicity of truths because there's so many different ways in, that we see things, in ways that we approach things, as well as levels of ourselves. So you're talking about a lot of truths, and you write in your book, the truth is not every part of you wants what you think you want. And that might be shocking to people to realize there's a part of me that doesn't want what I keep saying that I want So talk a little bit about the truths that come out and then go into how is it possible that there's a part of us that doesn't want what we clamor for, work for, strive for
2: So a perfect example would be this client that I worked with for a while. so, she was a performer and she was getting bigger parts in union theater so i'm based in new york city so that she was moving up in her career which is what she wanted and i love that that she was clamoring for and some of that clamor actually is noise so you don't hear these other parts that are maybe more subtle so she got higher up and then she started to sabotage herself. And we were both mystified because I knew she was working hard and she really was taking all the steps necessary. It wasn't a mystery that she was climbing up. It was a reflection of her hard work. So we went to one of her selves, a resistant self. And I thought I was going to meet a self that was kind of um, blocky and high energy. And because all of these cells are in our body and they're physiologically active. So you can figure out what self is in which part of your body that alone can be empowering. So we went to this resistant self and it was not what I expected nor what she expected. And this self was kind of soft and leaned in and almost whispered, if my client continues, she's gonna have a drinking problem, an alcohol problem. And I was stunned, I'd been working with her for a year and that had never come up and she was stunned but I could tell by her face that this was uh, a truth. So when we came back to center, my client just started weeping and said, yeah, it is true. And I said, well, tell me more because this has not come up before. And so she was not an alcoholic, but the stresses of moving into the next level and the demands of socializing performers and the entertainment field is a socializing industry. And she had a bad habit of saying yes when she meant no and no when she meant yes. And so we ended up shifting our work by strengthening the parts of herself that you could argue were her assertive parts so that she could protect her own self-care and make sure she got enough rest. So she could go to the party and drink water and pace herself and leave after an hour or whatever it is. So some of it, it ended up being strategizing what to do. But from that self's point of view, there was no contest. That self was protecting my client, the resistor self, from being an alcoholic. And from that self's point of view, there was no contest. Be an actress or be an alcoholic? No. No to being an actress because I don't want you to be an alcoholic. So when my client figured out how to be an actress and not be an alcoholic, that self just melted away. Like fine, my concern that the concern of that self was dealt with and the problem melted. Because the real issue was addressed, which was she was not going to be able to handle the stress of the added pressure of success if she did not strengthen some of her other parts. Well, and it typically,
1: I had an old mentor that once said, when you encounter something, that's never really the issue. It is something that is far beneath the issue.
0: Oh,
2: that was a wise mentor. That is exactly right. Now,
1: Talk a little bit about what voice dialogue is and and how it's different than us journaling or um, is it distinctive from therapy? what What is it exactly so that people have an understanding uh, that these conversations are are real and true conversations?
2: So voice dialogue is a revolutionary technique, like I said, developed by my mentors. and um it's it's incredibly. Enlarging, You literally go to a self, and that's what makes it different, and you speak as that self. Now, my book guides readers step-by-step how to do this. So you could journal as part of it, but you wouldn't journal about your perfectionist or about your stuck part. You would go and be that stuck part and embody it, and then you could journal as the stuck part. And my book is full of questions you can ask a self. What is your gift? What is your sting? What are your concerns? What's your definition of success? What are your rules for success? So what's different is that you literally acknowledge that these parts of you have genuine wisdom and they're not stymied by having to be consistent. So you have a part who says it's good to go out and party and and meet people and have a whole lot of fun. And you can have another part that says, no, what's good is to be uh, ascetic and uh, fast and read and both are correct. You just can't probably do both at four o'clock on the same day. And so what's different is recognizing that these are genuine parts that live within us. They have their own physiology, their own rules, their own history. Some of them even have their own memories that are different than memories of other parts. And it's not schizophrenic in the way that we think of the term today, which is a term of a mental illness diagnosis, where you don't have choice. The brain, and it's a brain disorder too, where the brain operates in different ways that you aren't in control of. And that's the sad part of the illness of schizophrenia. But in voice dialogue, we know you have control over all of them. And this method helps you have that control so that you have more conscious choice. And and it's really liberating. And so every third Thursday of the month at 8 p.m. Eastern, we have a uh, free Zoom shop, people can contact me so you can actually see it in action. So it's in my book in terms of how to do it. But if you want to see it in action, because it is really cool to watch it and watch how quickly the enlightenment comes, um, It's it's that's the other thing. I love how this voice dialogue approach reveals and releases these hidden inner blocks very quickly.
1: And and so this is not role-playing or impersonating. It's more of an embodiment, a more conscious embodiment of these exactly. aspects.
2: And thanks for bringing that up. It is not role-playing at all. And that's why it's a surprising in a good sense, because you're not role-playing. You're letting that part speak. Um, now you might deliberately say, choose to go and embody uh, an assertive boundary maker. And let's say you have an important meeting later that day that you wanna make sure that you have that part with you. You could practice bringing that part in for an interview But that would be very specific with a goal, but that is not, even that wouldn't be role playing. That is actively bringing in parts of you that you feel you need. I like to say the alter ego with the precise superpower that you need for the situation.
1: Beautiful. When you are stuck in the final stages of achieving a goal, whether it is to become solvent, get a dog, or gain a promotion, you've probably done everything pretty much right. You took the initiative, followed a plan, moved toward your goal. This is the first seven-eighths. It includes successes, failures, and procrastinations. In other words, all the different experiences that have led to your current level of wisdom. The first seven-eighths can include grappling with challenging habits, but having difficulty finding support, discovering your passion, but not knowing how to empower it, gaining physical strength, but not being able to maintain the progress, boosting your emotional health, but losing it under stress, getting experience in your profession, but not being able to move up, studying, but struggling with completing courses for credit. When the finish line is within sight, shimmering with promise, you just can't get there. And despite the nearness to the goal, despite your hard work, despite the access to necessary resources, and despite your admirable level of commitment, you find yourself unable to take the steps to final success. You might have been in this position more than once, and this is from the book, The Final Eight, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals by Bridget Dingle Gaspard. This is an opportunity for you to be able to discover the many voices in the many parts of you so that you can utilize them in a more empowered way. The innovative technique of voice dialogue will help you communicate with your alter egos, whatever your goal is. In the process, you'll discover and liberate inner wise counselors, canny advisors and magical sages. Transforming them into valuable allies who will help you finally achieve your goals. I invite you to explore Bridget's website, final Definitely put on your calendar the third Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for her Zoom shop so that you can watch voice dialogues and understand this powerful process, seeing it in action. And starting January 2021, Final 8th at 8 will be a live Facebook event that goes on. uh, And that takes place uh, on the 8th at 8 on Facebook Live. We'll be right back with Bridget Dingle Gaspard and the Final 8th. Again, check out her website, final8th.com.
0: 1111 magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart and stepping into conscious living. 1111 magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
3: Do you want more more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose. The 1111 mastermind community inspires, empowers Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IMSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back.
1: Before we get... Deep into conversation again with Bridget. I want to mention that the new issue of 1111 magazine will be coming out soon. So if you have not checked out the December issue, I invite you to. It is a beautiful issue packed with some gorgeous wisdom around divine mothering. There are some rich stories as well as a lot of insight into how to mother during these diverse times, particularly how to mother ourselves, which is so critical and important as we move forward and learn how to embrace new ways of ourselves as well as in life. So definitely check that out. And also, all of the archives of 1111 Talk Radio are timeless. The wonderful individuals that I get to have on the show uh, and speaking about their incredible books will provide you a lot of empowerment and wisdom and connect you to people that you might be looking for. That is the aim and the mission of 1111 Media, to bring the seeker to the ones that are to be sought. And so definitely enjoy all of the resources at 1111mag.com. One of the things that I loved about going through Bridget Dengel-Gaspard's book, The Final Eight. Is that she utilizes story in a really beautiful way? She shares with you many different scenarios that her own clients have experienced, and these are things that are going to strike a chord with you. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, such as online dating. You know, some people are looking for uh, that perfect someone. They've gone to singles events. They've kissed a lot of frogs, but they can't find that perfect mate. Or people that have an idea for a small business and have done all the research and lined up investors and even ready with the seed money, they're just waiting for that business plan, but they can't seem to get that done. Uh, Even people that are wanting to make peace with a loved one or who have had a difficult relationship, gone to therapy or talk things over with others, they feel ready to shift that relationship, but just can't. So everything from money to relationships to choices in college and acts of small business are explored in this book and will help you to identify Uh, many of the selves that are within you. The final eighth guides readers through the process of identifying and speaking with their inner selves, such as the inner critic, perfectionist, artist, and risk taker, to find out which of them supports their goal and which of them are impeding it. Bridget helps readers to spot and discard the negative beliefs like I'm worthless or I'm not good enough that are holding them back. But it also goes deeper to discover the empowering and hidden parts of yourself, So that you can get the guidance that you need to shift your perspective, reveal your buried strengths, and get them moving again towards success and fulfillment. I invite you to connect with her on the third Thursday of every month at 8 p.m., For the Voice Dialogue Zoom Shop, it is an opportunity for you to see Voice Dialogue in action and pick up some tips and just really explore how that whole process works. In addition, in January, she is launching the Final 8th at 8th, a live Facebook event. So you can find out information about all of those things at Final 8th. You know, with this year of the pandemic, I think there's a lot of people that have acquired the pandemic pudge. And so the very first story that is in the book regarding Neil is a really uh, relevant one and also one that I think a lot of people would identify with. I think what was so powerful is that Neil wanted to lose weight so that he and his wife could um, renew their vows on their 10th anniversary. But what ended up being the issue that would stop him from losing those last few pounds had anything, to, had nothing to do with food or what you would consider would impact weight. It was actually something entirely different. Would you share kind of that process of, of what he kind of went through in a nutshell and, and where he came to to, to have an understanding of, of the different types of selves that can come up that we would have no idea or even there?
2: Neil was great. Yeah. So he came in, like you said, with this goal of losing this weight. And he had been to the gym and all of that stuff. So on some level, it's it's like I'm not offering physical training. But he was smart enough to know because he'd heard about me that it was something other than the weight because he'd gotten close to his ideal goal Um, so many times and he now had this uh, literal date of the renewal of his vows and he came in and so a few things when I meet people I'm I just like to meet whatever selves they come with and see who's there and so I don't take things personally and so Neil came in and he was mad that he had to be there and he was also competitive and angry a bit, not terribly, about the fact that his wife had already gotten to her goal. So they, so immediately when he came in, I saw that there were these parts, the competitive part, like how come my wife got there and I can't, and also the part that was, had the courage to have him come make an appointment with me because he was a doer. So he's used to like finding out the best plan and putting it into his schedule And then having things unfold as planned. And like I said, I work with people when it's a mystery. Like, why is it not working like it usually does? And so we started to work together. And I always start with the cells that come in and and are looking to get help. And so through the process... We stumbled upon selves that were not at all obvious. And so we started with the strong selves, like I said, the competitive selves, and we got a sense that, and the goal is a good one. Of course, it's good to be healthy. So sometimes it's not that there's, of course, it's a good goal. But then we went to what we call the hidden selves. And it turned out that Neil moved over and he was of uh, there was like an awkwardness, like what was gonna come up and a silence. And suddenly he started weeping, and it turned out there was this lovely small inner boy, a inner little boy, his and he actually missed his dad. And what I found out was that Neil's father had died very young. Neil was only 12 and he died of a sudden heart attack, but a routine that Neil had had with his dad who worked a lot was that on Saturdays, he and his dad would go running around doing errands and then have a father and son meal at a Burger King. And, He loved that and it was just joyful and it was also like a shared secret with dad because mom would have a healthy lunch waiting and so they'd eat the healthy lunch later and she'd have no idea they had had this buddy bonding. And really, when his dad died, nobody did anything wrong, but all these strong, capable parts of Neil took over, and his grieving mother reinforced those. So he became a good student. He got very goal-oriented, and he never really grieved the loss of his beloved dad, who was taking shockingly early, and also heart attacks and those kind of deaths are much more shocking because... Like in the morning he was there and then in the afternoon he wasn't. So there's just a lot of selves that get struck and often frozen in those time frames. And we very gently spent time with that little self and Neil got to know that self and through the process grieved his loss. And why it ended up that Neil didn't lose weight at that very end was that little self, and he called him Little Louis, would go drive to the Burger King. And so it was a way to stay connected to his dad. And so even though originally Neil thought of it as the thing that was the problem, and I don't know why I keep going to the Burger King just as I am about to get to my goal. Now he realized it was that part that just in a way felt disloyal to dad. And, and this was the only connection that still existed. And so Neil was able to love that part of himself and also bring him into the renewal ceremony. And so once Neil took care of loving this little boy. He didn't need this disowned behavior. He didn't understand about going to the Burger King. He could have an active and direct relationship with this part that will always love his dad. And so then again, then it became easy for these last few pounds to be lost because it, like you had said earlier, it's not the problem that's actually a foot it's the one that's deep underneath and it's using the weight loss or the final eighth goal to to clamor i love that word that you use to clamor so you get some attention the reason you're paying attention is because you're in pain and there is a gift to pain if you're willing to be open to learn what is trying to be taught and that was lovely. And so Neil admitted he thought he was going to hate our work together and it was going to be boring and it was going to be like counting how many lima beans he was allowed. And when those selves that are angry like that come in, I don't take it personally. I let them talk. And that self was mad and did not want to be bothered with like self help. But you can even have a self who has no interest in self help, so it says, and then another self that is interested. And you're big enough to hold both parts of you and take their wisdom and their sting and navigate a much larger sense of who you are. And that's exciting. Yeah. And you know, we think that
1: life is the paradox, but we are actually (laughs) the paradox. (laughs) I
2: I love, (laughs) yes.
1: Thank you. I'm it's going to, true to the, if I true you please, can go right ahead. you know it it's true. Everything that we do, the lenses, the perspectives, our actions, uh, they all stem from from way back when it, it everything is driven by the impulses of our smaller selves. And so they do become these parts of us. and And as parents, you know, being a, a mother of two boys, I'm very clear that I've certainly done some things that probably were not what the mother should do. We all do as parents. And so when we look at that and we look at how, as a parent, we move through rearing a child and not wanting to create these kinds of situations for our children, um, do you have any advice in terms of um, voice dialoguing with children or or? doing the work ourselves so that our children have the benefit of us knowing more of who we are.
2: Yes, this is a wonderful topic that I adore. So a few things. It's just a given, because you know, life is a paradox, that your children are going to carry hidden parts of yourself. So if you're an introvert, more than likely you're going to have at least one extrovert as your kid. So, and they're going to irritate you in some way or somehow bother you in that way. And so if you can look at your kid and say, okay, um, it really bothers me when my kid is pushy, then you can ask yourself, what relationship do I have to my own pushy self? And more than likely, you'll have a pushy self, but it'll be hidden. And you'll probably have selves who feel you should be polite and always perhaps offer the first position to someone else before you go. And so if you're able to then say, wow, I see my own disowned pushy self in my kid and then you can talk to your own pushy self on your own uh, um, time and realize the gifts of pushiness you are going to be in different relationship to the pushy part of your child so that's so helpful Also, because of that wisdom, then you can say to your child, whatever is age appropriate. Hey, you know, well, you could what's so I see your pushy self is out what what's going on and what what's the gift of that pushy self? Well, how does that pushy self hurt you? Maybe that pushy self doesn't help that kid to be as popular as that kid would like because kids don't want to play with them. And then you can help that child without necessarily going to a different self, just recognize there's all parts of within you and that they don't have to think of themselves as bad. They can think of themselves as I have a preference and someone else has a different preference. But then those core negative beliefs are not embedded in the same way. You can say, wow, I really want to. And he really doesn't want to. And that makes me mad, say I'm the kid but I don't feel like something's wrong with me. And that is huge. So I would say the first step is looking at what part of your kid bothers you, whatever, you know, and I use that word in a large sense, or makes you scared or nervous, but somehow is is emotional for you. Look inside yourself and see what relationship you have with your own version. And remember, it's not your child's version, but it's your own version you want to go. And this also allows you to be creative with your children and also break patterns you might not even be aware of because so many of ourselves come from our ancestors. They're what has been reinforced when we grew up. So we make active decisions when we parent, but we don't know the unconscious ones that are still afoot until we become conscious of them. And if parents take that attitude, I think parenting becomes more rewarding in the moment for them, and also they just feel more able to have skills that are effective and have long-term uh, consequences of giving wisdom to their kids, as opposed to negative core beliefs. I know that in the book that you
1: you write that some of this is genetic, some of how we develop as children are genetic, and then we we end up in our environments and our caregivers then uh, shift that or skew that into what then becomes uh, the different aspects of ourselves that either are hidden or become more bold.
2: Can you talk a little bit about the genetic aspect of it? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I love voice dialogue is because it really takes into account everything else that's out there. So with genetics, we are born with a certain temperament, whatever that is. Like I was saying before, maybe more um, extroverted, but we also have... Either more keen sensitivity or less keen sensitivity, just to stimuli. We have preferences. So in our vulnerability, because we are born as infants completely vulnerable, is also our unique blueprint with our natural preferences. Some kids adore loud noises and banging around, and it's fun. Other kids cringe because it just hurts, like noise, too much noise is painful. And so that's where temperament fits in. And so, if one is aware of that, that's also, you can use that approach to not be punishing even if you don't mean to be punishing like you're too sensitive no how about wow okay you're sensitive so let's see we need to think of some skills for you and not that the world has to bend to somebody who's too sensitive just the opposite it's like okay if if we if it's too noisy if you feel it's too noisy in the playground, what can we do to make to help? Maybe that kid will wear um, earphones. so it's not also about helicopter parenting or bulldozing parenting as the new words are, but it's about helping your kids know that there's a benefit to sensitivity like empathy, uh, a, a unique style of intelligence, and there's downsides like maybe you get it uh, painful uh, stimuli where other people find it fun and so I think that's where the temperament and then a parent's way to handle it especially if a kid's temperament is is different than yours I know for example for me I'm sensitive to cold I was born that way and my mother isn't in fact she loves the cold so she was never aware of how cold I was not through any bad thing or fault because she didn't feel it and so I mean I would always just put on gloves and um Things like that, but that's a perfect example where no one's doing anything wrong, but my mother just simply doesn't get as cold as me, and I actually have had frostbite over the years as a young adult, because I get cold, and that's just my body. Nobody doing anything wrong. Mm. Generally, the approved
1: parts become your primary selves, the dominant set of characteristics that you call your personality, the you that you talk about when you're asked to describe yourself. The disapproved parts, the ones that important people in your lives didn't reward or value, are suppressed. But they stick around, barely acknowledged or deeply buried. These are your hidden selves. Every single one of your inner selves, primary or hidden, has one main function to protect your vulnerability. The Final Eight process identifies and illuminates how your particular set of subpersonalities operates. I invite you to explore Bridget Dingle Gaspard's work by going to the website finaleight.com. Check out the third Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern voice dialogue Zoom shop, and also be sure to put on your calendar the starting in January Final Eight at eight live Facebook. Uh, dialogues that she will be doing. Once again, the book is The Final Eight, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals by Bridget Engel gaspard finaleighth.com. We'll be right back after these messages.
3: Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen
0: 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? Eleven. 11 22 33 444. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: I invite you to go to my personal website and check out my new artwork. I'm feeling inspired to dive into that direction as we move into 2021. So whenever you get a chance, go to IamSimran.com and explore all of the art pieces, whether they are there to simply meditate on, to inspire, or should you desire to have one. There are ways to do that as well. That's IamSimran.com. Com. My guest today is Bridget Dangle Gaspard and she graduated from Columbia University, founded the New York Voice Dialogue Institute and has led workshops in places such as Omega Institute, New York Open Center, and many other organizations. As a former performer and comic, she specializes in overcoming creativity blocks. The final eighth enlist your inner cells to accomplish your goals is her book that she's just released. And she calls this demoralizing quandary when someone is so close to the finish line but just can't seem to cross it the final eighth. She has some powerful techniques and uh, processes throughout the book. And she calls on voice dialogue to help readers recognize and overcome internal blocks that are preventing them from achieving their goals. You can find out more at finaleighth.com. And when you go to the website, definitely look up what she's doing on the third Thursdays, 8 p.m., and uh, at the Zoom shop where you can attend and view uh, some voice dialogue in action and also find out more about the new Facebook Live events that will be starting as of January. Before we move on, Bridget, I wanted to get a little bit of clarity as to uh, is there a distinction between the work that's being done here and shadow work?
2: Only the distinction that it might be uh, reflecting different types of selves. so on some level no. in other words, we have different selves and they are primary selves, hidden selves and they include shadow selves. And shadow to me is originally a Jungian based word it's it could you could have a number of selves that are shadow selves and some of them you could called demonic demonic or that kind of thing but also it's selves you might know of but don't want anyone to know so i put like say addictive selves or maybe gamblers or overspenders these selves that you are actually aware of but you put them in the shadow so some shadow selves are literally you're unconscious of them they're in the shadow you don't know they're there and you'll be stunned when they appear. So to me that were that the the umbrella of shadow covers different styles of selves and kind of their intensity level but only in that sense. Otherwise voice dialogue would say well go to that self. Demonic is different that's a whole different um Section that you wouldn't just go to a demonic self, but you could go to a shadow self and some of that would be archetypal and that's why I love voice dialogue too because if you work with the archetypes for people who are are in the world of vision quest and that kind of thing, you can go to your lover, your mother, your Aphrodite and we would call those archetypal energies and um, and then that self could speak or communicate in the manner that it does. Like an Aphrodite might wanna just put on music and dance. That's the other reason I love voice dialogue. We say voice and language is important, but some selves don't use words and there's room for that. Put on music and let your Aphrodite dance. And then when you come to center, It might be that you've got a whole new way of thinking about solving a problem. And I call that sometimes, well, let's bring your inner choreographer into your problem as opposed to the have to solve this or I'm just going to be upset if I don't self. There's so much constricted energy in that worried self. We might even choose to bring in a shadow self because We also have golden shadow selves. And that's the other part of this process in the final. eighth. you learn this part of you that you judged, maybe, like I said before, like, oh, that part's just lazy and that's a bad thing. You end up finding that this part is actually one of your central parts. And that part says, I'm not lazy. I move slowly so I can feel the weight of my hips as I take each step. That's a very different way of living than calling yourself lazy than saying, oh, I'm going to walk sensually to my car. So that's uh, maybe a long answer to the shadow question, but that's how I would look at it and people in the voice dialogue community as well. Well, I think it's it's important to state because
1: many people resist shadow work. But as I moved through this book and particularly different people's scenarios, uh, it doesn't discount that it can be. Uh, sometimes challenging work and deep work and pull out areas that you really have to deal with, but it it felt more fun. It 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 seemed as if, uh, and you you have this this uh, theater background. It it seemed almost like you get to really explore the characters that are within, as opposed to sometimes the heavy drudgery that we look at when we think about shadow work.
2: Yes, and I lo- I think fun um, is. Very important. And again, not to discount what's serious and heavy and deep. And even talking about Neil earlier, like he expected it to be drudgery and then ended up that there was a lot of fun and fun is engagement. And how I discovered voice dialogue was absolute synchronicity, which AKA was meant to be and talk about like the angels and the spiritual world, just saying, hey, this is your thing. Basically. When I was performing decades ago, I read about voice dialogue, just read about it in a different book, and it electrified me. And I thought, oh, this is fascinating. And I was doing improvisation at the time. And I'm like, okay, well, the idea that we're different parts, you don't have to convince me of that. I already know that. And and a technique where I could access parts more easily sounded great. So I actually thought I would go explore it from a creativity tool point of view and it was everything I dreamt of in that way but what I found out was how deeply healing it was and so I hunted it down which meant I got the 1-800 number and doctors Hal and Sidra Stone who are a married couple who created it I became their mentee and as I got voice dialogue sessions myself and got to know my different selves in their history and how it meant um in my own constellation of selves that believed in a core negative belief that I was not good enough um, and also worked to support that belief until I was able to let go of it. I just saw people heal so quickly that I became less and less interested in the pursuit of acting. And that's why I went to Columbia, because that was... Uh, getting a social work master's was the quickest way to become a psychotherapist in New York and I knew I wanted the training which was amazing and then I got the experience as a psychotherapist and now I've put that all together my creativity and all the knowledge I have in that department and also the clinical knowledge and it's just so empowering and yes, fun if it's not fun on some level at least most of the time something's off like what self in you is saying you have to be under punishment all the time and that everything has to be hard and intense when it doesn't is that a rule that makes you think you're doing more if it's more grinding and we'll find out so if someone is in that state i'll say well let's talk to that part of you that's really struggling and i don't discount that part that's really struggling and and it's hard for that part They're genuinely struggling, so I want to know what's going on. I never set up a self. I'm not trying to find out to get them to change their mind. It's much more investigative journaling. Tell me more then what happened. And some question selves love, especially selves that have been coined as bad. So you could go to your lazy self and you could say, hey, lazy self, what is your biggest triumph in the client's life? And that lazy self might say, you know what? I am a lazy self. I am proud of that name. I made her so lazy. And then that self tells you something like she slept through her best friend's baby shower. Now, that's really not a good thing. But from that self's point of view, that is like a success. When you go back to center, then you can talk about the ramifications and the effect that that may be had on the relationship that the client cares about. But to ask a self that you usually have labeled as somehow negative, what they consider their biggest success is so enlightening. And even those kind of questions have a fun quality because it's not boring and it's not some kind of appropriate, good girl, good boy, well-behaved type of persona that is in charge. And and when we do this kind of
1: work, the natural byproduct ends up being Basically, what you're modeling in your own life—you're doing what you're passionate about, while also enlisting your gift skills
2: and talents that you have. You get so much energy. I'm agree- I'm saying yes, Anne, to what you just said. It, it, so you have the energy to do that as well. Also, I'll speak for myself. One of the consequences I didn't expect was how much more I naturally trust my intuition. Now that doesn't mean I don't check it out to make sure. I don't. I'm not blind about it. But but it's there is a place I didn't expect my confidence to grow even more. I'm like, all right, I can feel my intuition and I want to know more. And and it's just it's energizing because you're not working against yourself. You're to, to keep your hidden selves down, takes so much energy. Inner repression is exhausting and you get that energy back to use as you choose I love
1: how you open up the book because you do address the fact that when you do this work, you will bump up against things that um, that are going to take you deep and be challenging to move through. And you talk about utilizing militant self-care and, and that the use of that even makes you smarter. And so talk about how important militant self-care is through the process of voice dialogue.
2: I, I like to think that, say, your children's generation this will change but there's there is a societal expectation that working harder and suffering somehow is purer and and better for you. And so militant self-care really is about but changing the pattern, like that's not true. And they have now empirically tested that if you do self-care, and self-care can be anything from like I'm exhausted and I wanna take a bath so that I do take a bath, to I'm gonna make that dental appointment because I need to take care of my teeth. So there's no one way that self-care looks like for a particular person in a particular moment. But they have done tests through empirical studies that you can find online where the idea that you have taken care of yourself and not ground yourself down you actually have what they call more cognitive flexibility. You naturally see things from more points of view, which makes you more intelligent in the sense that you're not locked into to an either or situation, which isn't even accurate. So the military's militant self-care does a few things. One, it helps you change your patterns. And that would be, it helps you not bleed with your primary selves all the time. And, it helps you be gentle and learn to take care of yourself in a way that maybe you're not accustomed to. And then we become our own better, good parents. Because that is part of the voice dialogue final eighth process is that we learn to parent ourselves in the way that we need. And so the militant self-care also gives you the courage to help you continue the process when it is hard. And so that you slow down when you need to. It's not about pushing through necessarily, because that's probably a self. Now again, sometimes we need a pushing through self. Like let's say you're a writer, I'm a writer, we have a deadline. And that's when it's like, okay, gotta have my pushing through self, it's due in half an hour, I need to get this out. And, but if you only had your pushing through energy, you'd run into burnout and fatigue. And so the idea is you have more choice. Okay, right now I need my push it through self, so I'm gonna be so focused and, and singular and laser in my energy. But I don't need that when I'm having dinner with my family in fact they probably don't want that part of me around anyway they want the more laid back present self and so say dinner with the family is something that's self-care because it's a loving time of communing your workaholic self may say no that's a waste of time and so the militant self-care would say it's never a waste of time to do something loving and lovely that's important to me and my relationships as
1: you finish out The book, The Final Eight, Bridget Gaspard, will tell you that practicing safe success means protecting yourself by matching the right alter ego and the right superpower to the occasion. Sometimes you need your lover and sometimes you need your lawyer. Crossing your finish line can be a time of joyful celebration, but that can be followed by a myriad of emotions that might include melancholy as well as pride and joy. The final eighth is not the end. The cycle starts anew. As you arrive at your finish line, new destinations beckon. And I imagine when that happens, you'll be picking up the final eighth again. And enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals. Definitely check out Bridget's book. Go to finaleighth.com. Attend some of her Zoom sessions so that you can see what this is all about. And also attend her live Facebook events that are starting in January. Thank you, Bridget, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. It has been a joy My guest next week will be Dr. Paria Hasuri, and she has a wonderful tale about mothering as her 13-year-old boy uh, announced that he was not a boy. He was a girl, and she went through the process of uh, him, the transgender process with him. But what came out of it was the personal growth that came through her, and it is a powerful story and moving story. So I hope you'll join me next week. As we usher in 2021. Until next time, I am Simran. In love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well.
0: Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality